Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me is Ben Sawyer, the CEO of Soar Vision Group. Ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience. He launched Soar to help align people with purpose and to achieve exceptional results. Also with him is Lisa Council. She is the Chief Commercial Officer with SOAR. She comes to them after more than two decades of clinical leadership and clinical informatics experience. And she spent 19 years at the McKesson Corporation leaving, or leading rather large teams in clinical consulting, direct sales, and sales support. And most importantly, our guest this week is Lowell Cruz. Lowell is the former CEO of Heartland Health in St. Joseph, Missouri. He retired in July 2009 after serving Heartland for 25 years as their CEO. Under Lowell's leadership, Heartland Health was the 2009 recipient of both the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award and the Foster G. McGaw Prize for Excellence in Community Service. Lowell currently serves as co-founder and chair of Communities of Excellence 2026 and he's on the board of directors for the Baldridge Foundation. Welcome, Lowell. Good, good to be here. Thank you. So, Lowell, um, it is great to have you on the radio show. We've had many, many conversations um, about Heartland Health and your new um, initiative, Communities of Excellence, <clears throat> but the audience doesn't know you well. So maybe if you could just elaborate a little bit on your background and how you came to value so much the national treasure that is the Baldridge Performance Excellence Framework? Well, I will do my best in the short period of time we have. I think that if I started out my career in Minneapolis after I got my master's degree. I was there for 10 years. just kind of getting my sea legs about the business. Right. And uh, I took my first CEO's job in Rochester, New York in 1977, I think was the year. And the interesting thing in my conversation about Baldridge, an introduction to Baldridge, happened then, and this was before Baldridge uh, existed. So to kind of connect the dots, I became a close friends with a friend, of, a current and, and still current friend of mine, who was the, a quality officer for Xerox. Hmm. And as we met uh, and got to talk about what he was doing, I was fascinated with the amount of work he was working for David Kearns at that time, who was chairman of Xerox. And he was alluding to the fact that uh, Xerox was having some difficulties, but I didn't connect all the dots because <laughs> he didn't share with me all the concerns. But he talked about his quality processes. I was thinking, can we apply those to the hospitals? Can you take manufacturing principles and apply them to healthcare? But not a lot evolved out of that, other than my becoming uh, very interested in what Xerox was doing in quality. And, and Al was going all over the country trying to learn as much as he could about it. Well, little did I know that Xerox was one of those companies that Malcolm Baldrige was talking about when that was basically losing their market to Japan and Germany and others. Mm -hmm. And later on, uh, I found out that basically they just about turned the lights out until David Kern said, I'm not going to do that. And Al's job was to rebuild the quality systems for that organization. Well, you may recall that, for those of you that know the Xerox story, and by the way, if you did, it's Profits in the Dark is the book that David uh, wrote to, 
tell that story. Hmm. Basically, they invested like $100 million plus in totally rebuilding the quality systems and management systems of Xerox. And later on, I found out the significance of, of what the implications of what they were doing. Well, then in 1984, I came to St. Joseph, Missouri. 1989, Xerox was the recipient of the Baldrige Award a couple hmm. of years after Baldrige was formed. So I, connect, I started connecting those dots. Uh. Quality improvement, Xerox turned around, received the Baldrige Award. I'm in St. Joseph for about five years. Uh, trying to merge two hospitals, a Methodist and a Catholic hospital, into what became Heartland Health, and quality and virtually all the measures that we, that you would maintain, whether it's financial performance or customer satisfaction or whatever, were just not where they needed to be. We're in the bottom quartile for just about everything. And it was that, as we got into the early 90s, that was kind of the circumstance for our organization. We lived, Northwest Missouri is a relatively old, poor struggling uh, mm-hmm. economically at, at that time was. And so, uh, you know, you're putting all these thoughts together, trying to survive pretty much like Xerox. We were, I was trying to keep the lights on. And uh, pretty much like Malcolm Baldrige was worrying about the future of everything, and it related to manufacturing and global competitiveness. And so my introduction to Baldrige was that coincidental conversation, all those things happening at the same time. And in my mind, I, I kept trying different processes inside of the healthcare organization to see what we could do to improve quality, struggling with the, developing the leadership capacity of the organization to do things differently. And uh, Ben, as you and I have talked, uh, one of our uh, organizational development specialists was working on her PhD in, uh, in organizational development and, uh, and basically came to me one day and said, you know, my professor suggested that we invite in the Excellence in Missouri Foundation, which was the state's version of Baldrige at that right. time. And, I, and she told me a little bit, I said, she said they're working on the Baldrige framework. I said, absolutely. And so that conversation took place, I'm thinking in 93, 94, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And so our introduction formally was when that happened. And so my background was, it was a very coincidental journey in this whole conversation around quality that led us to say, let's bring Baldrige in. Before there was a framework for healthcare, but I knew that the principles in manufacturing and other sectors could apply to what we were doing. So that's how I got started that in it, frankly. That is fascinating. It is to, 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 to hear from someone who knew about Baldrige before it was Baldrige, started hearing the principles, connecting the dots, connecting the dots and the fact that this framework still exists and thrives today i yeah. mean that's that's me in xerox everyone remembers the story of xerox yeah, I mean, yeah. it's fascinating yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a fascinating story so uh as this came into clarity for you the 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 visual is all the tumblers fell into place yeah. um what was it that ended up really validating your decision making about using the baldridge performance excellence framework what what were kind of its unique characteristics that at the at the end of the day, really validated that, that journey you, you were on uh, and the decision you made to pursue it. Uh, yeah, so, so go back to the conversations I'm having with my friend at Xerox. When he would describe what the quality systems that they were building in and the culture building that they were doing and, the, and all the process improvement teams and on and on and engaging uh, employees and educating the whole. So all that was in the back of my mind. And so what what I realized about 
when when we decided to bring the Excellence of Missouri Foundation in, what I realized was that there were we had to take a take take a step back and look at the whole way that we that we led the organization. And so basically, um, because we were driven by this notion of wanting to keep the lights on and and pay the bills, what have you, it, it was that whole understanding that. It, you, you have to look at a systems framework in terms of how you run the organization. You have to build in that culture. You have to build in the capacity of leaders to understand how you lead the organization in a different way, the, the tools right. that you use. All of those things, without knowing much about Baldridge, I mean, I just from the conversations and knowing the Xerox story, because by that time the Xerox story is out for the public. Right. And now the conversations I was having with my friend back 10 years earlier starting to make more sense to me and go well bingo uh you know let's we got to start doing the same thing this isn't going to happen overnight and so we we did typically what any organization would do you begin to look at the people come in and teach you 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 understand the basics of the framework what are the you know what are the different categories of you know from strategy to leadership to customers to all those things and you get to start to thinking about it and then we started practicing applying we uh, in different, like in any organization, you have early adopters of the process. And by the way, in healthcare, particularly, your doctors, your nurses, your lab people—they're very concerned about quality. If they're not, they need to be—they need to be working in some other profession because we're right. all about. I mean, our moral, uh, our moral compass has to be built around quality because of the patients that we serve. But they recognize when mistakes were being made, and and at that time in the 80s and 90s, remember the whole country was concerned about errors in healthcare. It wasn't I think Don Berwick, when he's head of CMS, started this 100 million lives campaign. Yep. Yep. You know how can we improve the healthcare system to save 100 million lives? You know that's a a pretty damning comment about the healthcare system. And so all of that stuff was going on in the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. and Baldridge was coming along, and so. As we implemented, and again, I can't remember the exact dates, but as we started, it's, for us, it was a long journey. There's this period of time that I just, I wasn't kind of seeing how it was working, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, I think the, the one thing that I remember is we got, I got a letter one day from the uh, health grades. I think it, at that time it was called health grades, and it, that we were one of the top 100 heart hospitals or orthopedic hospitals. I can't remember what it was, and I go... Well, I wonder who where that come from. So I go down to the chief operating officer and I said, "Mark, did you did you apply for some more?" He said, "No, I don't think about it." <laughs> and uh, I said, "Well, I want all of a sudden my light goes on. I'm going, you know, I think because we're improving the processes, that's where this came from." I go, mm-hmm. you know, now I got it's all these discoveries. So I'd like to say it was purposeful and I knew exactly what I was doing, and I led it with uh, you know <laughs> great great ingenuity and. But no, I mean, it just, it evolved. The only thing I knew was that we had to have a much better process. I had confidence. You know, what what they built inside of Xerox was so close to what the Baldridge people built for the Baldridge Performance Excellence Program that it made logical sense that they'd be one of the early winners. Mm-hmm. And so for me, all those dots connected. And so mm-hmm. once you got that early taste of something, and then, which goes to the point, Ben, that you've made several times in SOAR, you've got to have some early wins. Right. I, I didn't have a purposeful conversation and say, hey, we're going to do this, but we got to have some early wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just said, we got to do it. Right. And, and because I wanted the organization to succeed, 
but I could see the value of that. And people then saw, once they, they really picked up on that being one of the top 100 hospitals in whatever the category was. And then we became a top 100 in another specialty, and a top 100 in another specialty. And then I think by 2000, which would have been five years, six years after we started this journey, we were a, we received a gold uh, recognition from the state of Missouri in terms of the Baldrige uh, Award here in Missouri. And uh, and we started applying for that probably in uh, I would say 98 when oh yeah when healthcare came along as a category as a as one of the categories or one of the sectors that received, I think that was 97 or 98. So then we said, hey, well, then we'll apply in the Baldrige um, sector. And, you know, the more you apply, the more feedback you get and the more you improve. And then the the short-term gains that you get cause you to invest in the next long-term strategy while you're also looking at the short-term. And so our journey was, it was fits and starts, general concept of we needed to improve quality. We knew this was the right thing to do. A lot of reinforcement about that. The, the feedback we get from being in the uh, in the review process by the Baldrige folks, all of those things were helpful to us along the way. That, and that's where the Baldrige Foundation comes in. It's, it's so important that we have an organization like the Foundation that keeps this message alive to every sector in our society that's why I become such a, a great believer. I saw what it did to our organization. I saw us going from the bottom quartile mm-hmm. to the top 5%, the top 1% in many cases of performance, and you name the category. And so we went from a state quality award in 2000 to another one in 2005 and the Baldridge Award in 2009. So you, just are, you know, our overnight success took us about 17 years, but it was a combination <laughs> of creating that long-term culture that went from one generation of people to the next. Uh, and the thing that kind of struck me when I look back on it after I retired and after 25 years is that for the most part the same people were there working at the place and running it although we had normal turnover the same people that were running it when we were in the bottom quartile as when we were in the top 1% mm-hmm. well what changes the change their capability changes right mm-hmm. the culture changes the tool right. that we brought along I mean all those things so it's really this this great combination of short-term thinking, long-term thinking, becoming a learning organization, wanting to learn more, become passionate about learning. Right. It's all those things. Yeah. And it's the comprehensive nature of the Baldridge framework that really uh, causes an organization to address everything essentially under the roof, right? To be able to make sure that um, the organization is achieving greatness at every level. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, particularly the role of the CEO, because we think about this from a leadership perspective, my role was to learn, but it was to be a champion and cheerleader as well. I mean, because people would say, my gosh, do we have to run this place and do Baldridge? (laughs) It seems daunting. Because it was a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. No, we're just going to change. It's kind of like having a high school diploma and deciding you want to improve your life and then you go to night school to get an associate's degree and then a then a baccalaureate degree because you know you want to improve your performance and you have to educate yourself and so you got to do the work while you're improving and that's right. the way I looked at it yeah so it's a very practical um, very. journey so how did you end up aligning the Heartland leadership team and board to support the Baldrige journey 
Well, the leadership team came along because we spent a lot of time talking about the fact that we've got to keep the lights on and pay the bills at the beginning of it. Yeah. And we had tried, there were all kinds of, of quality tools. You know, after Baldridge came along, then you, then you know the number of consultants that came along also with their quality tool and their quality approach. Right. And when you try four or five or six of those and, and it doesn't seem to move the needle too much, uh, you you begin to say, this is something that's more comprehensive, it works. By the way, I had my friend from Xerox come to St. Joseph and explain the story. Some lights go on. Every, every once in a while, lights, more lights go on uh, along the way. And so from the board's perspective, you can imagine that, uh, you know, we had tried different things. And so I had my friend come in. And, I mean, it helps to have people come in from the outside yeah. that had this experience and then help them understand the role that, that uh, governance plays, and I said, without the board fully endorsing this as their management model, and so that they, their, you know, our employees and doctors aren't particularly thinking this is another deal that our CEOs come up with, we, I basically had asked the board formally uh, to approve the Baldrige framework as our management and governance model, which they did. But it takes education. You, this isn't something you can just lay on a group of people. They, they've got to own it. And in order to own it, they got to understand it in the context of what you're trying to accomplish with the organization. And that has to align with everything you believe, your value system, the way you, you what's your role in society, quality, safety, financial performance, customers, all of those things. Believe it or not, early in, in the early years of my career, hospital people didn't always think of patients as customers. Mm, I mean, for sure. They, they didn't. It's still they, a new concept. We, we were here to take care of them and they should appreciate that more than anything rather than the other way around. Yeah. So we had, you know, there was tremendous culture change that was going on in the healthcare system in the latter, in, you know, the 80s, the 90s of accepting this new reality that we're in a market-driven world now and we've got to respond to our employees and our patients and our docs as customers and we've got to measure performance we've got to report on that. So, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on in as in Malcolm Baldridge's world and as in manufacturing world and global competition, all of us were learning a lot in those last several decades. And I think Baldridge has been such a a guiding force in that. And I think people like you and your colleagues at SOAR, Ben, who have, I mean, that's why I, th I really like this focus that you've got on execution because the, the thing that, it does fall off a sled sometimes between strategy and leadership and results. I mean, a lot of people get hung up on the first part and then don't do the work over the long term that makes sure that we get the results we want. And I think I think what, what you've been thinking about and what you bring to the discussion is really an important piece of that. Because what was clear to me is people won't spend two or three years just thinking about their future. They, they've got to see that it actually produces improved patient care or something. Right. So striking that balance between building the culture, building the strategy, and executing and getting results is really an important thing to keep in mind. Once the board sees you're doing, and once the board sees these kinds of improvements, uh, then they're reinforced. And then, okay, let's invest some more. Let's spend some more time at it. Once you get to a certain level of functioning that you're doing better in the market and you're doing better financially and quality-wise, then you just our role as leadership is to just encourage everybody to stay on the journey. Uh, not get tired of it, not, you know, and... 
Right. It, it wasn't dif- it wasn't difficult to align people after they began to see the improvement, and as we brought in people to tell the stories about what they did in their organization, whether it was manufacturing or anybody else. And believe it or not, people would object to people from manufacturing to come in and say, because we're not a manufacturer, we're a hospital. I mean, we're different, we're unique. Well, we're not in many respects. Right. So, anyway. So, um, there is an interesting uh, sort of counterintuitive thing for organizations as they enter a Baldur's journey. Um, and that counterintuitiveness is that the more you develop systemness, the more your people essentially become able to act like owners the better the more nimble and agile you are because every single associate then is going to be aligned around a common purpose and and react accordingly as opposed to sort of top-down leadership that's so characteristic so um let's talk about this now kind of in the age of consumerism lowell and you and i have had this conversation quite a bit offline but how do you recommend that organizations best leverage the baldrige pe framework to accelerate short-term gains and and then create sustainable competitive advantage uh, because there's this counterintuitive thing to the Baldridge journey that actually allows them to position themselves significantly different to their competitors if they do the hard work. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm not sure I can respond to it exactly the way you've asked the question, Ben, but I think I think the best thing we started off with is having people from the outside come in and, and help us understand where we were improving by w- the way we were measured in some of our reviews by the Baldridge people here in Missouri. Um, I think they began to pay more attention to like organizations that were already trying to improve performance. We, we spent an awful lot of time educating our uh, employees and uh, telling stories about successes. We learned that if the, if we didn't take the time to teach them the use of all the different tools to measure customer satisfaction, measure financial performance, whatever, if they didn't own that, it didn't. They were trying to figure out what you wanted them to do and not what they knew had to be done. It was it was just a broad base. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm getting at your question right, Ben, but I. Um, the thing that uh, the more our employees understood that we were saying to you, you have to own this in your department, your division, and we're going to roll up whatever you do with all the other pieces and parts of the organization until we see the, and then they saw the collective gains and, and I mean, it, it just was an iterative process yeah. of all these things. Yeah, there's no one. So I think yeah well actually I think there there is something that keeps percolating up and I'm just going to draw that okay. pull yeah. on that thread that is this whole notion of measurement and being able to yeah. move the needle on the metrics that yeah. matter right so so it sounds like in the cultural transformation what was happening is it went from sort of anecdote and what does my boss want yeah. me to do to comparative results to top performers and what actually are the value metrics that need to that the needle needs to be moved on and once people understood that and were able to own that in their daily work that was part of the transformation process is that correct yeah no and, and it occurred to me while you were just describing that that in the healthcare arena at the national level keep in mind that we were working 
harder as an industry in developing comparative databases from quality perspectives. Remember the the pay for performance uh, right. po project that Premier and CMS uh, developed. Right. To basic, yeah, and so everyone, we were all learning together. The, the industry was learning, I was learning, our employees, and I kept saying to them, I'm learning this like you're learning this. And so once we began to see comparative data, then we got more and more into it, and we began learning. I remember spending a long period of time trying to figure out the best balanced scorecard we could for our organization. Well, sometimes you overshoot. Cause, you know, because some people in your organization really get into this stuff, and pretty soon we had yellow-green, uh, red charts all over the place, and we were measuring everything that we didn't need to measure mm -hmm. and a lot of things that did. But we got into it because it meant so much to us. And as our numbers moved up against best practice uh, and certainly year-over-year -year performance improvement and people were celebrating that, I mean, everybody's a human, you know, we're all human beings and we like success and we like improvement and we like recognition for it. And when you talk about building this Baldridge culture, it's all of those things. And that's why you can't do shortcuts and go to, let's just work on an improvement project and develop a couple tools that get us the next step, but it doesn't create the culture. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, all those things combined go to motivating a workforce, and you got to teach it over and over and over again. Right. So a couple examples here that have been <clears throat> interesting to us. Um, we previously had on this show Roger Spoolman, who uh, was the SVP of uh, Operations and Strategy for Trinity Health, and they were looking at value-based metrics relative to customers in terms of primary care access. And it was really interesting, and, and we had shared the video case study of it with the listeners, but it was really interesting what were the metrics that matter, the value metrics that they, they actually did their design around. So one of the metrics was uh, their primary care physicians were seeing about 2,500 patients a year. Right. They wanted to double that to 5,000 because the feedback they were getting from the market is was access. They just couldn't get in. So they're, they're in waiting rooms, they're waiting a long time, et cetera. But the other variable was that they could only do that if the staff could go home at 5.30 every day and not have to stay late. Right. Like you couldn't do one without the other, right? So that became their two value metrics. They zeroed in on it. They redesigned the entire system. And along the way, they they added a couple things like, like patients wanted to have a complete experience. They didn't want to have to come in and then go somewhere else for labs or go, you know, that kind of thing. So as much as possible, they built a complete system so the patient could come in. and Anyway, wildly successful. They actually hit and are, are maintaining that level of 5,000 patients per physician. And the staff is going home and at 5.30 or before, and the staff satisfaction is, is off the roof. So that whole concept, when you now talk about consumerism, and we let's transition into that, Lowell, is in the age of consumerism, what the customer wants rules. And if you're not aware of it, from voice a customer, right? And and it's yep. not impacting the metrics that matter, you'll lose, right? So the question we want to kind of look at at the very end of our conversation here, and then we'll pick it up next week, is how does approaching 
organizational performance comprehensively, like the Baldridge lays out, enable an organization to do better in the age of consumerism than any of their competitors? So just initial thoughts on that, and then we'll pick it up because uh, yeah. you're going to join us next week, I think, for our conversation. We'll dig into that in detail. Yeah, I think, and again, keep in mind, I, I spent 45 years in the business, so a long time uh, in the early years, we didn't think of patients as customers, clearly, right. and so there was a total cultural change around that, and and so I think that when you began to measure customer satisfaction, and you use that as a mechanism for reward and recognition, and you used it as a way of uh, helping people understand what piece customer satisfaction had in terms of both volume and in terms of just the way the patients perform. I mean, they, they're going to feel better in, a, in an environment where they just feel better about the experience. I think that, again, the, the whole idea of if you can't get at satisfied customers without satisfied employees, and so you've got to measure that. And and I think Edwards Deming is the one that you know did all the, all the displays about how you this random you you can't do these things randomly when things don't go right it isn't the person's fault it's the system's fault and so you're you've got to teach systems you got to teach the value of each piece of it so starting with leadership and strategy and going into customers and learning that on the leadership piece. Uh, so that basically that forms the foundation for kind of all your other performance measures. Right. Eventually, you know, it just starts to make sense to, to people. But the, it was a, it's a struggle sometimes in healthcare still because people, the docs, the nurses, they're they're all working so hard. Even though they go home at five, I'm not quite sure that it's true. And everybody, people working very hard, long hours. Um, but. I think the new generations of people coming into our business, that's just part of how they've learned. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's much more, it's, again, I'm talking some, about somebody that's been at this a long time, and so I may have a different perspective. But when you, the new people coming in, it seems to, I see the young physicians now practicing in environments where they really understand the notion of teamwork, they understand measurement, uh, the value of a patient as a customer. I see that result, uh, and uh, I think, you can't get there just by coaching. You, you have to get there by actually teaching a system that helps you get to that and that it's valued because you're rewarded for it. Right. Financially and otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a whole combination of everything. Everything is connected to everything. You leave out any piece or part of that, and it doesn't work. So for our listeners, this is why SOAR is so integral because – as you said, you use SOAR and you see little wins early on, and then it makes the Baldridge experience not so daunting, not so scary, because you see, and, and we want to tell our listeners, um, we always want you to log on to www.leaderdialogue.com, and there you will see the organizational hierarchy of needs, and everything he's talking about is exactly how that hierarchy works, leadership. Then go in the employees and engagement and all of that, and it really does mirror Baldridge in a very usable way in any business, small, large. So um, we want everyone to remember to do that. Next week we'll sort of say that at the beginning so people can follow along. Um, I want to wrap it up, but thank you so much, Lowell. I, I'm I'm very impressed with your 
tenure and your experience. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks. I want to thank everyone else for joining us on Leader Dialogue, brought to you, of course, by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Remember, you can listen to a new show every Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, if you want, you can see things we or hurt here, things we've done before. Visit leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben and Lisa and our producers, Trey and Mike, I'm Duffy Dixon. Join us next time on Leader Dialogue on Business Radio X. 